Today on the podcast, we have Dr. Julie Slattery, president of Authentic Intimacy. Singles don't realize that there's there's loneliness, there's aching, there's pain for the married person too, because the metaphor isn't the fulfillment of the metaphor. And what I mean by that is we were not created for marriage, ultimately. We were created for intimacy with God. And, uh, and being married is one way that we experience the pursuit of that. But being single is one way you experience the pursuit of that too, because you're longing for something you don't have. Welcome to Captain's Corner, a podcast about community, mission, and culture. This podcast is a ministry of the Salvation Army of Tampa, where we exist because we believe every person can be the person God has called them to be. Also, please check us out at tampasa.org and go ahead and give us a follow on Twitter at Sal Army Tampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. We'd like to take a moment to recognize our sponsors for helping to make this podcast possible. Thank you to RegisterToRing.com and to a very generous anonymous donor. We hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hello, friends, and welcome to Captain's Corner. I am joined today by my partner in crime, Captain Abby Miller. So there's a way that we could probably say it's Captain's apostrophe corner today. And so, Abby, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. And today, our guest, we're really honored to have her on this podcast with us, Dr. Julie Slattery, who is the co-founder and president of, of Authentic Intimacy. We've been following her for a while since her time when she was with Focus on the Family, and now she started this ministry. We've read her book. So, Julie, we are delighted to have you with us. I'm glad to be with you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Julie, we'd like to start off by um, just asking you to tell us a little bit about yourself and about your family and where you're from. Sure. Uh, I was born and raised in Akron, Ohio, and have moved around the country at different times in my life, but back in Akron. My husband and I just celebrated 25 years together, and um, we have three sons who are quickly growing into young men and um, leaving us, so I guess that's good. Okay. <laughs> yes. Are any yeah. in the house still? Yes. We, uh, my oldest son graduated from college and got his first real job, um, so he's just living with us for about six months until he gets on his feet, and then we have a 16-year-old who's still in high school and still very much with us so yes yes so i enjoy i enjoy having them Mm. well we'd like to also hear how your um, story unfolded to you starting authentic intimacy or at least having the idea um to to you know co-lead authentic intimacy can you tell us about that yeah sure um so my background is i'm a psychologist Mm -hmm. and working with women and um, just marriage and family issues, um, sexuality and different kinds of sexual brokenness is just part of what you deal with. Um, It's just so prominent. And so I guess I've always addressed um, issues of sexuality at some level throughout my whole adult life. But in 2011, 2012, when I was working at Focus on the Family, I went through a very just intense spiritual journey a time of seeking God, and through that time, which probably lasted about a year, God just really started to burden my heart related to issues related to sexuality. And it, it seemed like everywhere I looked, 
there were people that were dealing with different kinds of sexual questions and issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were, they seem like they're not connected, but they really are. Mm-hmm. If you think about like pornography and sexual trauma and sexual brokenness in marriage and single Christians wondering what to do with their sexual desire, um, you know, questions about gender and, uh, you know, all of it has the same thread of what is God's heart related to sexuality? What does it mean to pursue him? Where is he in the midst of our brokenness? And so um, in 2012, I just really felt the Lord calling me to leave focus and to start this ministry with my co-founder, Linda Dillow. Um, and it was really just this step of one step of faith after the other. So who could have guessed just like seven years later that, you know, issues of sexuality would be right. pretty much in every news headline. Um, and so the things that we were addressing seven years ago that were more hush-hush, I think, particularly within religious circles now because of the Me Too movement, um, because of legalization of gay marriage, because right. of gender confusion, you know, all of this has brought up these conversations that really everybody at some level seems to be wrestling through. We had a sense probably at that time, 2012, that some of this was coming and on the horizon. But who, I mean, as you said that they're thinking of seven years later, I mean, who who probably couldn't have imagined the barrage that's come upon our culture in this time. It's been so intense. It really has. I I remember in those early years, again, not that long ago, you know, being in conversation with churches who would say, it's really good that you're doing this, but the people in my congregation don't struggle with those things or just flat out saying, you know, those conversations don't belong in the church. And now, just a few years later, you know, those same Christian leaders are are recognizing everybody's struggling with these things. And these conversations have to be talked about in the church, because if we don't, then everybody just believes whatever they're they're hearing from the culture. So uh, it really has become more on the forefront, even though I think it's always been a great need. Sure. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, we appreciate you taking it on. I'm sure it's a heavy, heavy burden at times. But, you know, I also know I hear you saying it's something you felt called to do. Um, What tell us about the idea of the name authentic intimacy? How did how did the name come about? Yeah, it's kind of funny. The name actually came about by before we started the ministry. We wrote a Bible study for wives on sexual intimacy and marriage, Mm -hmm. and it's now called Passion Pursuit. But our working title for that Bible study was Authentic Intimacy. And it was really this idea of, um, you know, authentically bringing before God the things we're wrestling with, Mm -hmm. with the intention of pursuing, I want intimacy with God, I want intimacy with my husband. Uh, It just had the two words, this combination of, the reason why we're authentic is really because we want connection. Um, mm. And when you're hiding yeah. anything, when you have secrets, you, you can't experience intimacy. And so um, when we realized that the Bible study we were writing was, was kind of spiraling into this whole ministry, we took that name and put it on the ministry and then gave the Bible study a different name. So it's kind okay. of how it happened. Interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As we've seen some of your resources have come out and we've heard pretty consistently, particularly like in uh, your book, um, Rethinking Sexuality, you often use the words 
that I don't hear in Ian. Now, I've tried to use them in my preaching too, taking them from you. But uh, the, the, the word sexual discipleship and sexual integrity, like that's, I'm mm-hmm. guessing that that's very specific language that you're using with intentionality. Could you unpack what you mean by that sexual discipleship and sexual integrity? I know it probably could use, go read the book, right? I know, but I mean, love to No, hear. no. Yeah, I'm happy. I'm happy to um, to talk about them, and those are both terms that I started using um, in contrast to what I was seeing was the normal course of how we deal with sexuality. Mm-hmm. So, with sexual discipleship, it's a contrast to sex education. Oh, okay. And um, and everybody talks about sex education, but how an educational approach to anything is time limited. It has certain objectives. When you get an education, you learn certain facts that you take a test on, and once you pass the test, you're good. Huh. And I think um, I think when the church has addressed sexual issues, which we really haven't done a lot of, it's been more that educational perspective of let's have a retreat for our teens, mm-hmm. you know, let's have our premarital couple go through the Song of Solomon. But it's this, <laughs> we're gonna ha- we're gonna take a specific period of time to teach them one thing. And um, the education isn't bad, but it's very limited in that you're teaching somebody what to think, and you're not training them how to think. Right. And um, discipleship is more of this never-ending, ongoing journey towards maturity, where it influences how you think about things, what your goals are. It, it revolutionizes your life, which is why we talk about discipleship in so many categories of what it is to be a Christian. That discipleship should speak into how we parent and how right. we spend money, um, how we manage our time. But most people don't think about discipleship also impacting our sexuality, how we think about our sexuality, how we steward it, uh, you know, why we think differently than the world does on every sexual issue. Right. Um, and then, and then also, it's this idea that. You know, I think sometimes we think that in the church that the goal is to get married, right? Uh, to get married as a virgin, and then you're mature. Whereas that's not true. Yes, sexual discipleship is for everyone, and if you, you as a married couple, know this. The learning continues. The temptations Amen. continue. <laughs> right. You yes. know, the pain, the pain continues in terms right. of needing to surrender things to the Lord, and so discipleship has a much broader call and a deeper call to what it means for God to really transform us in this area. So that's how sexual discipleship came about. Um, and then sexual integrity was really in contrast to the, the language that everybody uses of sexual purity. Right. And people think of purity as being you either are pure or you're not. Right. And, um, mm-hmm. and because of that, we get questions all the time. Well, you know, I, I've been sleeping with my boyfriend for three years. Why would, does it matter if I continue to do that? Why would God want me to stop? I'm not pure anymore. Our relationship isn't pure. So why does it matter? And I think when we only use language of purity, people think of it like some people are doing it right and everybody else has got it wrong. Mm. With integrity, it has, again, more that sense like discipleship of, this is in every day of your life. It's yes. in how you think. It's in whether you're single or married. It's even if you sinned a thousand times, it's about getting back up again and saying, God, I want to be in person of integrity. Amen. Uh, that our purity, our purity doesn't come from our sexual choices. It actually comes from the righteousness of Christ and living a life that's abiding in Christ. And Amen. so 
Um, and so I, I like that call to integrity, again, because it, it captures every single one of us. And it's not an either or, it's an ongoing journey. Wow, I love it. And I love how you brought the word stewardship in. I, I'll give a little, uh, what, about 2012, when I kind of sent some of these things on the horizon, I preached for a, a group of Salvation Army seminary students who are at our Salvation Army's trained school. And um, mm-hmm. I, I, they asked me to preach on stewardship, and I talked a lot about sexuality. And so that whole group of students, when they see me, a lot of times they say, we're working on our stewardship. That's how it, <laughs> so that comes through. Sure. But I think it's so important like to think of it in those same terms. And yeah, I, I wanted to pick great. up, oh, go ahead. You want to say something? No, I just said that's great. That's great that in 2012, you were, you're pushing on some of these traditional paradigms too. So that's great to hear. Well, thanks. They, I, I, when I hear you talk about um, the contrast, I, I didn't really realize that when you use that language, sexual integrity, it's a contrast to sexual purity. And Abby and I were teenagers in the 90s. We were... Mm-hmm. Um, I was into DC Talk and WWJD bracelet, True Love Weights, the, the whole piece. And we went to we went to a Christian college, Asbury University. We met there, um, and you know we got married at a young age. So there's a way that we could almost be poster children for purity culture in a sense. But you've helped us see, and and, and others too, some of the challenges that come has come to evangelical culture as a result of purity culture. And you've had some measured comments on that too, because there was there was some positive things and I think we contribute, but we looking back, there certainly are some challenges with purity culture. Could you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, and unfortunately we've we've seen this kind of hit the headlines with right. um, Joshua Harris and others who who are, are really deconstructing not only from biblical sexuality but from God himself. Right. Um, so because sad. Yeah, and I, you know, I think some of some of the pain points from purity culture are, first of all, it, it feels like it divides people into categories of um, you're pure, you're the good Christian kid that did it right, mm-hmm. and you're not, you messed right. up, and you know God can rewrap you, or but it's you'll never be the same as if you hadn't done this, right? And um, and that's not consistent with the gospel. I know Amen. that that wasn't the in, the intended takeaway, but when people hear that, um, it it really gets us in the same paradigms that, that the Pharisees were in, of the religious leaders did it right, and they judged the people that were quote-unquote sinners, mm-hmm. instead of the recognition that we're all sinners. And um, you know, if I happen to grow up in a, in a home that helped me steward my sexuality well, then that's a blessing from God. It's not my own self-righteousness. And so, yes. you know, that's one one pain point that I think is coming to roost is, you know, I have friends, for example, that grew up being sexually abused by their father. Right. And because of that pain and their teen, their, their teen years, they're very promiscuous, very confused about sexuality. Right. They come to Christ, and one of the first things they hear about sexuality is um, you're impure. You know, wow. you you know, who would want to marry you or, you know, and, and people don't say it in those words, but it's the message they hear. I didn't do it right. Right. And instead of recognizing pain and brokenness, it becomes this moralistic, uh, you know, judgment on who you are. Um, and so that's, that's one of the things that I think we're seeing happen with kids that grew up in the nineties and are starting to become very disillusioned 
Um, the other thing that happens is that in many cases it gave a false promise. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's easy to tell teenagers that, hey, if you wait and if you're faithful with your sexuality, then someday God is going to bring this amazing spouse. You know, have your list ready of what you're looking for. And <laughs> this person's going to have everything on your list. And then you'll get married and it's going to be so worth the wait because sex is going to be great. And um, and for a lot of people, that that doesn't come to be true. Right. And, and so like, I'll meet with women who will say, I have a friend who slept with everyone, and she has a great marriage, and I kept myself pure, and sex was terrible for the first years of our marriage, and then my husband ended up cheating on me. Wow. Um, you know, like, what God promised me wasn't true. Right. And, oh, um, and then they start questioning, if I can't trust God for that, then can I trust him for anything? Right. And it starts to really uh, whittle away at a person's faith in, in the scriptures and faith in God. So... And, you know, those are, there's more, but those are the two primary um, things that we're seeing where, because the purity culture presented a too simplistic view of sexuality and redemption. It's like almost like a prosperity gospel for, with sexuality. Like if you can just, just hope here, think long enough, do this, then you'll get X or, or, or the lottery or or so to speak. It's like a real challenge. Um, I appreciate you being willing to share that. And I hope I didn't come across like, I was defending it. I mean, I think there, like I've, we've seen similar things, similar things. And Abby and I, being in uh, Salvation Ministry for twelve years now, we've come across these same areas of hurt, and it ca- brings caution to us as we mm-hmm. try to move forward with people and helping mm-hmm. them to, you know, spiritual wholeness altogether. Um, right, and and what you said is is really true. It's not that the whole message is bad. Um, you know, my husband and I waited. I'm glad we waited. I would have my kids wait. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's so many reasons why that's a good decision and why God wants us to reserve sexual intimacy for marriage. But the way we've communicated it has been too simplistic. And because right. of that, it's been hurtful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, it's, it's good to um, hear you explain that because we who are pastors want so badly to get it right or, you know, do the best we can. Um, you know, the, the words sexual integrity, um, are so helpful as you said, or I find it helpful because it applies to everyone, you know, and not just kind of a certain category of person who is married or isn't married or as kind of touches on everybody's situation. Um, and, you know, in the church, we do sometimes maybe leave or we've found out, you know, we need to be sensitive to single people that we, we you know, currently we have a good number of single people in our congregation. And, um, and so in our own preaching and teaching ministry, you know, we're regularly bringing up these themes about marriage and sexuality and the theology of the body. But um, while we're sharing, we want to be sensitive to single people and how they may hear these messages differently. And so, you know, if uh, this is jumping to a little bit different topic, but if sex is a way to help us understand God's covenantal character and, you know, Mm -hmm. who he, you know, who he is to us and our relationship with him, um, how does that look for single people? I I know Mm -hmm. you've, I mean, I'm a little familiar with how you talk about this, but I'd love for other people to hear you talk about that some. Yeah, it's a really good question. And, and when we read the scripture, particularly in the New Testament, um, we see that while marriage is honored and valued, 
that also singleness is honored and valued in the scripture, not as a waiting period for marriage, but as a state of serving God uh, indefinitely. And so, uh, and so we do have to wrestle through, okay, what does this mean if you're single? Am I missing out on something that shows God's covenant love? And there's a few things I would say, you know, first of all, you single people can observe this metaphor of marriage and see how, how people love each other in marriage, how they love each other well, and how they love each other poorly. Uh, all of us have seen, for example, the destruction of infidelity. You don't have to experience it right. um, to know it's damaging. And so when in Hebrews it says marriage should be honored by all, it means that the whole community, the singles and married people, are part of honoring marriage and learning from it, whether mm-hmm. you're experiencing it personally or not. But I'd also say that part of the, the metaphor of marriage being about God's covenant love is that it's never perfect. <laughs> the mm-hmm. metaphor is never fully fulfilling. It gives you a taste of what, uh, what God's love can be. And uh, if, if you're around enough married people, you'll know that the vast majority of them will say, even if my marriage is good, it doesn't completely fulfill me. Right. Or it's not like I live for the fact that we have this great sex life. Uh, you know, that's, that's a, a gift. It's a benefit, but it's not the cornerstone of my life. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, sometimes I think because we divide singles and marrieds in these conversations, singles don't realize that there's there's loneliness, there's aching, there's pain for the married person, too, because right. the metaphor isn't the fulfillment of the metaphor. And what I mean by that is we were not created for marriage. Ultimately, we were created for intimacy with God. Amen. And, uh, and being married is one way that we experience the pursuit of that. But being single is one way you experience the pursuit of that, too, because you're longing for something you don't have. Right. Um, and there's so much in the Scripture about longing for intimacy with God and in the New Testament about uh, longing for our union with Jesus and being in heaven and having that perfect fellowship that a single person experiences that even within their bodies. Um, and so there, there's an aspect of that metaphor that can be really powerful for single people. And as Paul would say, you don't have to get distracted by the metaphor of marriage as mm. a single person. You can go directly to pursuing and serving God. Mm. I love that image of, like, of how we just have to be a people who are acknowledge all of our longings, all, in that sense, all of our brokenness that we have. Um, it reminds me of kind of like the various points in the Chronicles of Narnia where people are longing for Aslan's country. I think of Reap a Cheap kind of at the end of the, the Voyage of Dawn Treader going on. Like we're all longing for this, you know, eternal lasting relationship. Um, it's such a, it's, it's helpful. It's helpful to us too, because here Abby and I are sitting right next to each other saying this is having these questions with you as a married couple, but this is all of our longings. I love that emphasis. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you read the scripture, you know, it, again, it honors marriage. It talks about how beautiful marriage is. But I think in our Western church, we we have made an idol out right. of marriage. Um, and even to say that if you're in a marriage that's unhappy, then you should get out of that and find a marriage that's happy. Wow. Um, and so we've skewed the purpose of it and what really brings contentment so much that Singleness seems like an impossibility. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, we've um, also been interested in the way that you talk about our desires and kind of what our desires point to, maybe something deeper, um, and that it's not often not a matter of just turning our backs on things like, you know, mommy porn and pornography and, you know, whatever it is that we're escaping to, but it's like really looking at those those temptations and maybe thinking about the deeper issue of what's causing them, um, what would you say we can learn from where we are tempted? Yeah, um, you know, we. You, it sounds like you've maybe heard a podcast interview that I did on that. With, <laughs> yeah, with yes. if you listen to my last sermon too, uh, <laughs> you, you'll see that we listened to that podcast too. It was so meaningful to us. I forget the gentleman's <laughs> name who you had on, but it was very. Yeah. It, it, Abby and I yeah. listened to it separately, and we came back and said, "Oh, you listened to Java with Julie today." Didn't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's um. There's a guy named Jay Stringer, and he wrote a book called Unwanted. And yes. The whole idea of it is that, our, like you just said, Abby, our temptations actually tell us something about what, what we're longing for. And every temptation is a healthy desire that has been twisted and tainted. Mm. Um, and so, you know, we can have a desire for control that is a very normal human desire, but it becomes tainted um, when... I become overbearing or manipulative. And the same is true with sexuality, that every sexual temptation comes from this desire to connect. Uh, It comes from our intense and deep loneliness. And we experience that differently based on our backgrounds and just our personalities uh, of where we experience just isolation, loneliness, pain, Yes, um, And if you even look way back in Genesis, the Garden of Eden, remember that um, Eve was tempted because she thought that the fruit would be good for something, you know, good for wisdom, you know, it's going to help me. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. every time we grab for pornography, every time we, we have sex with somebody that's outside of a covenant relationship, it's because we believe that this is going to be good for me. Mm. Uh, it's going to at least temporarily make me feel connected like I'm not alone. It's going to temporarily make me feel empowered. It's going to make me feel more desirable or beautiful. Uh, and and so part of resisting temptation is first understanding it. You know, why why do, does Satan seem to have a foothold right. in this one area of my life? Um, what is the need that I'm so desperately trying to meet? Um, and re- recognizing that, like the scripture says, although sin is pleasurable for a season, you know, at the end of it, it's leading to death. Right. And we look at our culture that has basically given us sexual freedom to do whatever we want, and the greatest epidemics of our culture are loneliness and depression right. and anxiety and suicide thoughts. Um, so it's not working. Hmm. Uh, what what we're grasping at is not working. Uh, wow. We're replacing a sexual expression for real intimacy. Um, and so... I I really like that interview as well and learning from Jay because it makes us reflect on maybe overcoming temptations isn't just so much about willpower. Maybe it really is about being reflective and inviting the Holy Spirit into places that have been wounded uh, and legitimate needs that I don't know how to get met. Yeah, And we heard you talk about some of that a few years ago um, when Fifty Shades of Grey was a little bigger in the culture and you wrote a book, um, I think, pulling back the shades. I know it was meant for women, but I did pull it aside and look at it a little bit. I'll submit. 
<laughs> I'm glad you did. This episode of Captain's Corner is brought to you by an anonymous donor who loves the Ministry of the Salvation Army and RegisterToRing.com. Register to Ring is the simple way to sign up to ring bells at the Salvation Army. Ringing bells is a cherished holiday tradition, and money raised goes directly to help people in need in your community. To volunteer to ring in your community this holiday season, go to RegisterToRing.com to sign up today. You can sign up as an individual or a group. Just go to RegisterToRing.com. And let me just add that in Tampa, this has been a blessing to have Register to Ring in place. We've had a great expansion of our volunteer efforts because of Register to Ring. So check that out today. And our thanks to these sponsors for their help in producing Captain's Corner. So the Salvation Army, we're in 131 countries. We serve in every zip code in the United States. But one thing that's unique about Salvation Army ministry is that the husband and wife serve together hence i said at the beginning this is captain's corner like mm-hmm. abby and i both serve together and i'm i'm, I'm not exactly finding the couch for the therapy therapist moment but you know i'm interested in like how the, this idea sounds like you i'm sure you've worked with some people who work together particularly in ministry and that's the case for thousands of salvation army couples around the world who are who are working together in ministry serving particularly with a kind of a emphasis on those in poverty but also trying to lead congregations and then you inevitably have like us children 12 10 and 8 and there's all sorts of interesting dynamics that come along with that we, any advice to people like maybe two people in tampa florida who are um <laughs> who, who are working together in ministry like salvationists do yeah um you know first of all i'm sure you experience this but just recognizing the spiritual battle because not only are you working in ministry, but you're working together in ministry. And so at some level, you have like a, a double bullseye mm. on your back. Um, because Satan loves to interfere with ministry, and he loves to interfere with marriage. Mm. Um, and, and so anything he can do to divide you, to discourage you, to distract you, right. uh, he's, he's going to do. And being in ministry myself. Um, my husband, my husband isn't actively in ministry with me, but because of what I do, right? You know, we 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 just face a ton of spiritual warfare, and we we've, mm. we've learned even when there's conflict between us and things we can't seem to get through, um, to recognize that at least part of that is a spiritual battle, and we need to be in prayer together. Um, we need to have people speaking into our marriage, um, you know, a marriage counselor that knows us well, mentors. Mm-hmm. And just because you're in ministry doesn't mean you don't need that. You actually need it more. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I think being a couple in ministry, you can think, well, we're supposed to have it together. We can't let anybody see that we were tempted or we we argue or we hurt each other. Right. Um, but really learning to lead out of being authentic and letting people see that, you know, like Paul said, he who thinks he stands, be careful lest you fall. Right. Um, that that we're vulnerable, and so that that would be one thing. And then um, I don't know. Did you want to say something about that? No, that's that? good. Yeah, that, I, I tell, yeah, So would you you would encourage like um, pe- in, people in ministry to have a marriage counselor they're working with on a regular basis? Yeah, that, yeah. Uh, and just even to have them like we think about it like you have a general physician that knows your medical history. You mm-hmm. check in with. 
you know, on an annual basis who does the blood work. And then if you have a problem, you know exactly who to go to, and the guy's got your whole file and knows your history. And I think the same is true with, with, um, with not only marriage, but just our walk with God and, and just our stability and maturity. There should be people in your life that know your history and that you check in with uh, as a married couple. And when you have that crisis that happens, you're not starting from ground zero. You're start. This is somebody who you have history with that mm. uh, can speak intelligently into, well, what we learned last time is you have a tendency to do this and you have a tendency to do that. Um, and so just thinking about it that way, and it doesn't have to be like an official counselor. Right. For me, a lot of times it's been just a, an older, wiser woman or a couple that we just really respect that can speak truth into our marriage. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate it. What, what, what can people do if they're looking for, like, I like the idea of, you know, finding other people in your life you can go to, but if they are looking for a counselor, like any advice for, it's kind of a, I know I've sound like the typical person here, but the, um, the challenges of trying to find a Christian counselor, what type of things could we, tools could we use to find somebody who's, you know, comes from a biblical worldview? Yeah, that's a good question. Focus on the Family has a great counselor resource network. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if you just go to their website, they have a little button that says find a counselor in your area. And you just put in your zip code, you put in what kind of counseling you're looking for. And everyone that they recommend has been through a pretty thorough vetting process in terms of their, their biblical worldviews. So if, if somebody's asking me for a counselor in a region that I have no idea, I'll always send them to that resource page. Um, and then the other thing that is super helpful is just word of mouth. And just asking pastors, asking people that you respect in the area, mm-hmm. you know, many good Christian counselors. And uh, usually you'll, you'll get a couple answers. Uh, this person's really good, or I went to this person and they really weren't helpful at all, and so, yeah, <laughs> so I think that word, yeah. I, I think that word of mouth is really powerful. Uh, and then the third thing I would say is remember that you have to be a discerning consumer. And what I mean by that is, go and see a counselor and interview them. I, you know, ask about their training. Ask about how they handle certain issues. Uh, you know, if it's marriage, I would say, what do you tell? Tell me what you believe about divorce. Do you ever think there's mm-hmm. a reason for divorce? Uh, you know, just interview them. Uh, where'd you get all of it? Where'd you get your biblical training? Uh, how do you integrate psychology, which is a pretty secular field, with your faith? Um, and and find out if if you feel confident in their perspective, and if you feel like it's a good fit relationally. Because yeah. counseling is a very personal thing, and even if it's a great counselor, but you don't feel like it's a good fit then move on and, and, and interview somebody else. So sure. those are a few things I would recommend. That's great. Yeah. And I know we kind of, uh, kind of cut you off a little bit about the couple serving in ministry. Was there anything else you want? You, I know yes. maybe that time Sorry, passed, I but <laughs> you can tell I'm curious. I want to, I want to learn all <laughs> I can. <laughs> yeah. I think as, as you serve together and as you do life together, um, really become a student of each other and learning what you're good at uh, mm-hmm. and becoming a specialist in what you're good at. Uh, yeah, I think sometimes, particularly within Christian ministry, we have stereotypes like, well, the guys should be good at the bills and mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, you know, maybe we are, is the better teacher. It's, you know, we have these stereotypes of what your skills should be rather than what they actually are. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, I think just really being a student, uh, I, I guess my husband, and I've been married for 25 years and there are things that he does really well that I resisted early on instead of recognizing, like, I should really invite him to help me with this. And he's realized the same thing about me. Like he's a real detail guy. And, uh, you know, he thinks through the details way ahead of time, which at some level annoys me because it takes so long, you know, I'm like, let's just do it. Yeah. (laughs) But I've learned, I've learned that when, when I invite him into anything to think through the details with me, whatever we do is going to be way better. Hmm. Um, and, and the same with him, you know, we, we lead a Bible study together and he's, he knows that I'm more the one that is studying the word of God and my natural gifts are teaching. But he's great at group dynamics. So Mm -hmm. we've learned that, you know, he's going to open the group and ask the questions and really more defer to me when it comes to how do we understand this, this passage? How do we live that out? Because it's my strength. But, uh, but he's going to draw people out and make everybody feel comfortable. And so we've we've really become students of how, how has God gifted us? And how do we, how do we not compete with each other, but really depend on each other's gifting? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think there is a slight, there is, if we're really honest, there are some little competitive moments. Yes. I don't, you know, Mm -hmm. and so, yeah, learning to, um, compliment and (laughs) we have a, one, one thing we could say, great marriage therapy is this, um, Abby and I, a couple times a year, will preach together. Now that is always a recipe for us to work through some issues. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. we we figured out a way to do it, but it's it's a blessing. It takes probably, I don't know, quite twice the work, uh, but it's a blessing for us to be able to uh, be, be able to preach together. But every time we do it, we, there's like some moment when we're practicing a sermon where we look at each other and think, okay, God's using this to sanctify us. <laughs> uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. It is, it is really true. Like most of the time, my husband has like a day job and I have the ministry job. So most of the time I travel and speak by myself. But sometimes when I do marriage events, he comes with me and teaches with me. Actually, we're getting ready to do that this weekend. Okay. And he's, he's giving me feedback. Like, Julie, what you always do is you teach and then you look at me and you say, what do you think? <laughs> and he's like, it drives me crazy. Um, you know, like I have to really work on you know, helping him integrate into what I'm, what I'm sharing or teaching. He's like, you put me at a disadvantage because you're the expert in this. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's the same way. It's like we've, some of the hardest things that we do are when we, we work together it's much easier to divide and conquer, but you know, God really refines us when we, when we're in the trenches together. Yes. Trench is a good Salvation Army word. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, we wanted to um, maybe ask another question about talking with people who wouldn't share our same, you know, Christian worldview. Um, How can we maybe avoid some pitfalls? You know, when we are in conversations with people, sometimes we just kind of stumble into them, you know, and trying, we want to be um, loving and gracious to people who we may, you know, disagree with, but um, what, 
what are what's some advice you might give us to know how to talk to people who'd have a different view from us about um, sexual worldview? Yeah, I think, you know, the first thing that you said is really important is recognizing that they have a different perspective from you on a Christian worldview. And why do I restate that? Because we always want to zone in on how we view sexuality differently. Hmm. Um, and I really believe that we shouldn't get caught in the trap of debating issues of sexuality because that's not the most important issue. I, you know, the, the most important issue is, do you know Jesus? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I know, I know that's the heart of the Salvation Army is the gospel. Right. And, and uh, you know, Jesus has to capture our hearts before he addresses our behavior. And, um, mm-hmm. and so when we have a conversation with somebody that doesn't know the Lord, doesn't believe the Bible, and we're trying to convince them that, for example, transgender, uh, gender fluidity is wrong, they they think we're speaking a different language because we are. Hmm. Uh, they don't res- they don't acknowledge the fact that God created created human beings to worship Him. Uh, if they believe in God in all, they probably believe that God exists to make them happy. Hmm. And so uh, and so we have to steer the conversations much more at trying to understand a person's heart, understanding their journey, where they've come from, and really what what is their need for God. Um, because like we've talked about, everybody was created for intimacy with God, and we're going to be restless until we find that. Mm-hmm. And so we want to discover that place where the person is trying to make sense of life mm-hmm. uh, and, instead of just you know having debates about whether the sexual issue is right or wrong. Um, yeah. So, you know, and, and part of that is asking good questions, being a good listener, building a bridge, yeah. you know, sharing our own testimony of how God has transformed our lives and, you know, why we think differently than most people think. So, Mm. um, you know, those would be some strategies that are probably very different than most people feeling like they've got to debate an issue or prove something. We've, um, we've identified kind of the, we use Patrick Lencioni's book, The Advantage, to help produce some clarity in our mission in our local expression of the Salvation Army. And we came up with a statement that says, we exist because we believe every person can be the person God has called them to be. Every person mm-hmm. can be the person. And that includes like who they can be sexually. But it, that often then starts, of course, with the evangelistic question, too. We have to begin there. I, I love how you... you like it, It's easy for me, um, as somebody who likes to get in debates occasionally, to want to get to that point where we disagree and try and work through it. But we're, you've regularly helped us push us back to these centering issues of our existence. I don't mean to be too deep with that, but it's a really, I really have appreciated your ministry, Julie. And we, we really thank you for taking time with us here. I'm curious, how can people follow you or be aware? We'll, we'll include some links, but what's some things that people could do if they'd like to access your teaching and your ministry more? Yeah, well, thank you. Um, our ministry website is authenticintimacy.com, and mm-hmm. that's where everything is pretty much housed. But since you're listening to this probably on a podcast, that means you like podcasts. So yes. <laughs> um, that might be a great a great way to jump in. We have a, a podcast called Java with Julie, and um, it's very casual conversations about some of these very deep issues. So that would be a, a great way just to find out more about what we're doing. And at the website, you can see like books and Bible studies and conferences that we're doing around the country. So 
those are some ways to, yeah. to get engaged. Now with your podcast, are there, is there really, are you, is it really happening at a coffee shop? Because I hear all kinds of little noises back there or is that, is that mm-hmm. piped in? Yeah. Um, whenever we can, whenever we do it live, it's in a coffee shop. And so uh, there are times where we can't get to a guest live. And so we use uh, like Zoom, we record through the internet and then Sometimes we'll put in coffee, coffee shop, coffee shop songs behind it, but mm-hmm. most of them are recorded in a coffee shop. That's fine. I had that sense that it had to be yeah. generally yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, we yeah. just want to close out here by saying thank you so much for giving us some time, and again, just thank you for calling for um, following God's call on your life to start authentic intimacy. It's been such a wonderful uh, encouraging resource for Andy and I and you know personally but also uh, with our ministry and the Salvation Army Um, so we're very grateful for it and um, we just wish you all the best and um, pray God's blessing over you as you continue with authentic intimacy important work Mm -hmm. thank you and thank you for the work that you all are doing um, there in Tampa and beyond so pray that God continues to bless your work Okay, friends, I just want to like outline some of the things that we learned from Julie there. What a blessing it was to have her on. She told us about authentic intimacy and her own journey towards that. She made these clear distinctions between with sexual discipleship and sexual integrity. She contrasted sexual discipleship with sex education and then sexual integrity with sexual purity. And we then talked about the purity culture. And I was very convicted as I went through that section with her thinking about the way that we need to think about sexual purity in general. So that's a piece you might want to go back and listen to. Then we talked about singleness and the way all of our desires are pointing to something else, like our own longings, even our marriages, our singleness, whatever it is, is pointing to something bigger and better. And that's ultimately our union with Christ. Um, We talked too about what our desires point to, even our own sexual temptations, like what that all might be helping us understand about ourselves if we get in to those details and really deal with them. Um, We talked about the Salvation Army's um, unique way that couples are in ministry and she gave us some good encouragement there. I was really thankful for those moments, even personally there. And then we also talked about how we interact with people who don't share a Christian worldview. So I'm hopeful that you'll be able to take these this conversation that we had with Julie and apply it to your life and maybe dig a little deeper with how we understand our call to be uh, to sexual discipleship and discipleship in general. So our hope is that that was a blessing to you. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Captain's Corner. Next week on the podcast, we have Dr. Billy Kopage, missionary with World Gospel Mission. If you'd like to learn more about us, please feel free to check us out at tampasa.org and give us a follow on Twitter at Sal Army Tampa. And of course, go ahead and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thanks so much for joining us. See you next time.